Luke chapter 6. On Sunday mornings, as you know, we are walking through the gospel according to Luke. We've arrived finally at chapter 6. And I want to preach a message this morning that I have simply entitled, Boo. All right? Boo. I want you to look at your neighbor and go, Boo. Just look at your neighbor. All right. Um, you say, what in the world are you talking about? I want to show you here in just a moment. Um, when you arrive at uh, the early parts of the, the gospel according to Luke, things started out pretty well for Jesus. Uh, he was healing people of different uh, diseases, and he was casting out demons of various folks in different places. Um, he was teaching and he was preaching, and the Bible says that people were coming from everywhere to see him do the things that he were doing, the things he was doing, and, and to hear the things that he said. They were coming from absolutely everywhere. When you look at Luke 4, and we won't turn back, but I just want to remind you that in the early part of Luke 4, it says that he taught in the synagogue and everyone glorified him. In other words, everyone said that was a great message. boy, They patted him on the back. But by midpoint of chapter 4, they were ready to throw him off a cliff there in Nazareth. And the reason is, is because the Pharisees began to realize that everything that Jesus was teaching was in direct opposition to what they were teaching. And then they began to realize that Jesus was not dancing around the issues, that He was actually drawing a line in the sand and daring them to cross that line. He was saying things like the illustrations that He gave last week, that, that you cannot patch um, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true gospel, into any other religious belief. He was saying you cannot mix the true gospel into any other system of salvation. And what blew their mind is that he was saying this in public places. So they began to follow him around and they began to stalk him. And in our text this morning, we're going to see two different times that this happened in the moment um, uh, of Jesus' life. And so if you would, take your Bible and look at Luke chapter 6. Let's stand together, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Luke 6 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath, after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God and took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He said to them, the Son of Man is also 
Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man whose right hand was withered was there, and so the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we bow before you and we thank you for your word. Father, this morning I just pray that uh, you would help me with any distraction. I pray that you would uh, clear my mind of anything that does not need to be there except for what you would have me to say. Father, this is such wonderful truth this morning, and I pray that, that I will be able to share it in, in the way that I need to share it. Father, we thank you that we can drop into the moments of the life of Christ, and, and we can be um, blessed and challenged. So I pray that we would do that this morning, oh God. Thank you again for the wonderful time of worship and praise and adoration. And now I pray that our hearts would be ready for your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are two things that I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture um, this morning. First of all, let's notice together the cunning inquisitions. The cunning inquisitions. The Bible tells us in verse 1 that Jesus and the disciples were walking through some grain fields. Uh, now in that day, the paths between the grain fields were hard and they were beaten down. And so the folks in that day would use them as roadways and, and they would travel between the, the grain fields. They would travel between the wheat fields. And so... Uh, it had to be early um, summer, maybe late spring, and, and as they are traveling through, uh, the disciples did something and Jesus did something that was allowed in that day. Um, they were walking, it was on a Saturday, it was on a Sabbath, and so they were walking, and, and I'm sure that they were laughing and they were talking, and one of the gospels says that they were hungry. And so what they did is they took some of the grain and they rubbed it between their hands and, and they just ate. Well, as I said, that was allowed. God allowed that. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 25 says this, When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. <laughs> 
You see, so they were doing what the Bible says that they could do, what, what uh, the Word of God said they could do. They could walk through and they could get a snack, but they couldn't take the farm. They couldn't take a sickle and just take their neighbor's farm. And so they were doing what was allowed, as I've said several times. But what took place is, is really, to me, humorous. And you'll see why in just a moment. The Bible says in our text, in verse 2, And some of the Pharisees said to them. Now this is the way I picture it. They, they jump out from behind a stalk of wheat and they go, boo. That's what I picture. All right, that, that, I can't help it. That's just what I picture. And so here are the Pharisees stalking and following Jesus and the disciples. They jump out, they say boo, and they say, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, there was a law concerning the Sabbath. It was pretty important. It made the top ten. All right? And so it was pretty important. I want us to, to look at that law. It's going to be on the screen. Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11. I want you to look at what the Bible says. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now here was the commandment. It was simple and it was succinct, and it was this, don't work on the Sabbath. Cease work. That was it. Relax. Be with your family. Be with your God. Go fishing. Don't work. That was it. But what the Pharisees had done is they had taken that commandment, and listen carefully, they had written 24 chapters in the Talmud talking about what you could do and what you could not do on the Sabbath. One writer put it like this, they had strangled the Sabbath. The Pharisees had made the Sabbath the most miserable day of the week, the most painful day of the week with all of these restrictions. They said on the Sabbath that, listen, you could not take a bath. Because if you took a bath, the water may overflow on the floor, and that would be considered mopping, and mopping was work, and so you don't even need to take a bath. They said you couldn't light a fire. They said that you could not cook uh, anything. You had to prepare it before the Sabbath. They said this. They said if you were a doctor, listen very carefully to what I'm about to say, they said, if you were a doctor or anyone that helped people in the medical field, you could not on the Sabbath help them get better. Now, they did say something parenthetically. They said, you could stop someone from dying. Wasn't that kind of them? And then they also said, ladies, you'll be blessed with this one. They said, if a lady is going to have a baby, you could help them with that. Like they could stop the baby from being born anyway, right? How nice of them. 
but they were serious. If someone was sick, you could not help them get better if they could make it until after the Sabbath. They said you could not carry anything more than the weight of a dried fig. They said if you moved a chair, that was sin because moving a chair would would make a rut, and a rut is too much like plowing, and plowing is work, and work is sin. So you can't move a chair. Now, ladies, this one will bother you, and it really bothered me, to be honest with you. On the Sabbath, you could not even look in a mirror. Because if you looked in a mirror and you saw a gray hair or a white hair, and you plucked it, plucking a gray or white hair was work, and that was sin. So you couldn't do that. One of the things that they had written is that you could not walk more than 3,000 feet from your house. Which begs the question, what are they doing in a wheat field? Amen? That begs that question. But they had figured it out that if you walked 3,000 feet and then planted some food, that would become your residence and you could walk another 3,000 feet. Then they also said that if you laid down a plank of wood, that could be your doorway and you could walk 3,000 feet from there. They said that you could pour cold water on warm water, but you could not pour warm water on cold water. You say, why did they say that? I have no idea. Here's another good one. They said you could throw something up with your hand, but you had to catch it with the same hand. If you caught it with the other hand, that was too much work. So you had to make sure that you caught it with that hand. And then they said if you reached for something, you couldn't really pull it down. And and they wrote pages and pages and pages of what that meant. And a couple of rabbis finally said, we really don't know what that means. But what happened is they were following people around. By the way, that's just a handful of restrictions, and I'm already miserable. Amen? I'm slap worn out this morning just thinking about that. They had made it miserable, and they were following people around, and they were going, boo, and they were trying to catch them in all of these things and saying, we do this, and you don't do that, and therefore you don't understand what we understand. It's still like that today. I told you years ago, the first time I was in Israel, which has been many years ago now, and some of you will remember this illustration, but I got on an elevator And uh, I was going to either go up or down. I can't remember now. I think I was going up. And so the elevator door just stood there, and there was a couple of Hebrew fellows behind me, and so I was punching a button. And as I punched the button, I heard them say something in Hebrew that I could not understand. Finally, the door closed, and it opened up on the next floor. Neither one of those got off, and I didn't get off, and so I started punching the button. And I heard them get even more angry behind me. I thought, what's going on? Finally, after a little while, it closed, and and that happened several times until we got to the floor where they got off, and as they walked off the elevator, they turned around and looked at me and went, dumb American, like that. I understood that. I understood those two words. 
I didn't know is that I had gotten on a Sabbath elevator, and it was on the Sabbath, and and if you push the button on an elevator, that is considered work. And, and so they have it set up where the elevators will stop automatically at different floors. And so I had broken the Sabbath without even realizing it. Do you see the cunning inquisitions? They, they were just always dogging Jesus. They were always calling them onto the carpet. But the second thing I see in this passage is, is not just the cunning inquisitions, but the clear instructions. I love what verse 3 says of our text. Verse 3 says, Jesus answering them. I thought about this, church. Why didn't He just leave them alone? Why didn't Jesus just let them do their Sabbath thing and leave them alone? Why didn't John MacArthur put it like this? Why didn't he even just um, applaud their devotion or their dedication? And the reason is this. is because he knew that underneath all of that was a complex system of salvation. Underneath all of that, they were trying to work their way to heaven. And they were teaching others that you had to do this in order to get to heaven. And Jesus was saying, absolutely no way. And by the way, the Word of God says that still today, no way. You see, He answered them, the Bible says in verse 3, and And he said, have you not even read? Boy, I like that. It's sort of like he's poking at them. Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. Verse 4 says this. How he went into the house of God and he took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those with him which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He, he said, have you not read that? Do you not understand that? And I'm sure they were saying, hmm? And so what Jesus was talking about is in Leviticus 24, we won't turn and it won't be on the screen, but in Leviticus 24, um, the Word of God tells us about the tabernacle and, and that there would be a table there in the tabernacle and on that table was, was showbread and And it was a symbol of the the provision of God. That's laid out in Leviticus 24. And in 1 Samuel 21, the Bible says that David and his men, they were on the run and and they went to the, the tabernacle at Nob. They were hungry. And they asked the priest if they could have it. You see... What the Bible had laid out in Leviticus is this, that, that ever so often the bread was removed and replaced with new bread, and the bread that was removed could only be eaten by the priest. But the high priest looked, or the priest looked at David and, and said, sure, you can eat that. And Jesus is saying this, the point is that compassion and mercy is more important than ceremony. Jesus was saying that people are more important than rituals. That's what Jesus was saying. He was picking this out of the Old Testament. He was putting it together for them and trying to help them understand. Their eyes were still crossed. 
But then he says something in verse 5 that blew their hair back. He said something in verse 5 that, that knocked them out of their sandals. In verse 5, he said to them, The Son of Man, by the way, that's me, is also Lord of the Sabbath. Can you imagine the look on their faces? Jesus looked at them and said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Hey, listen, I'm in charge of the Sabbath. You're not in charge of the Sabbath. I interpret the law. You don't interpret the law. I tell you what God means. You don't tell me what God means. You see, Jesus could do anything he wanted to do on the Sabbath, and what he wanted to do on the Sabbath was tell them that what they were doing on the Sabbath was not what you needed to do on the Sabbath. Almost ran out of air. That's exactly what it was. What you're doing on the Sabbath is not right. But what I love is this. And church, listen very carefully. He never apologized. He never looked at the, the Pharisees and said, Hey boys, let's just meet halfway. I mean, my way's okay. Your way's okay. Let's get a coexist bumper sticker and put it on the back of our camels. Let's, all dogs go to heaven. Everything's okay. He never did that. It was so clear. He said, I, I am Lord of the Sabbath, not you. You see, we talked a little bit last week about the exclusivity of Jesus. The law of non-contradiction is so important when you think about that. And, and, and that is this. If you look at my shirt, what color is my shirt? It's blue. It's blue. And if you say, no, I think it's red, then there's only one right way. Isn't that right? It's either blue or it's red. And what Jesus is saying is that blue, they were saying it's red. In today's culture, they're saying, well, it could be red, it could be blue, it could be pink, it could be rainbow, it could be this, it could be that. You know, the law of non-contradiction means it's either one thing or it's the other thing. And Jesus was saying, it's me and me only. And they didn't like that at all. I think he cleared his throat when he said it. He did not stutter or stammer. He just flat said it. Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, I was in Franklin, Tennessee at a Tennessee Baptist Mission Board meeting. And... Uh, I heard the lady out in the hallway uh, uh, going from room to room, cleaning rooms. And so I walked out there, and I looked at her, and I said, I, I need some coffee, some soap, and garbage bags, too. She looked at me and said, mm-hmm. And I said, I need coffee, I need soap, and two garbage bags. And so she took her iPhone. And I thought, what in the world is she doing? And she took her iPhone and she turned on and went to the Google Translation app. And she put it right at my face. 
And so I said it again into the phone. I said, I need coffee, soap, and two garbage bags. And evidently, Google Translation app does not translate hillbilly because she looked at me. She looked at me and she said, carefree soup? I said, no, coffee and soap. And she said, carefree soup? No. And so I did this. I went, like that. And she went right to the card and she got it for me. I couldn't understand her. She couldn't understand me. Evidently, I wasn't being clear enough. But Jesus was being clear enough. He said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And so they continued their cunning inquisitions. There's another Sabbath. When you look at verse 6, it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and, and he taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. By the way, Luke, Dr. Luke is the only gospel that tells us that it was his right hand. So verse 7, so the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely. Now don't miss this. They watched him closely. One of the other gospels said that they actually asked him if he was going to heal this man. This gospel says that they watched him closely. You say, which is right? Both of them. They were watching him closely and they asked him, are you going to heal this man? I, I love those words, they watched him closely. They were on the edge of their seat. And this had to be what they were thinking. Are you going to help this man? You telling me you're going to heal somebody? You're going to heal somebody? Come on, heal somebody, Jesus. Heal somebody, Jesus. Work a miracle so we can call you a phony. See how crazy that thinking is? How ironic, how goofy? Heal somebody, Jesus. The Bible says in verse 7 that, that they watched him and, and, and they watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. Verse 8 says this. But he knew their thoughts. Look at your neighbor and say, uh-oh. Look at your neighbor and say, uh-oh. He knew their thoughts. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But just keep that right there. Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and he stood. Verse 9. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? In other words, to do good what I'm about to do. To do good. Here's how we know he knew their thoughts. He says, or to do evil, what you are thinking to do to me. To do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. In verse 10, and he looked around at them all. He looked around at them all, and, and here's where the clear instruction comes back into play. The Bible says in Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, it says this. It does, Mark 3 and verse 5. 
It says that he looked at them with anger. And, 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 and then when you look at this passage and you put this, there it is. And so when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And so in our text, the Bible says that he, he looked at them, he gave them time, and he said, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, our scripture says, as the other. But they were filled with rage. Isn't that amazing? Jesus just worked a miracle. He did good. A, a withered hand was restored. You would think that they would be excited for that man, that they would be thrilled, but the Bible says that they were filled with rage. In the Greek, it means they flipped their lids. It means they lost their minds. They were so full of anger. And then it says that they discussed with one another, and another gospel says even with the Herodians, what they're going to do to Jesus. Another gospel says, how are they going to destroy Jesus? So when you look at this, they were jumping out from behind everything, every bush, every stalk, and they were going boo and trying to trap Jesus and the disciples. And then when they began to understand what Jesus was saying, they said boo. They didn't like it at all. They didn't like it at all. Friend, neither will this world. Neither will this world. When you're sitting at Starbucks drinking your latte or your iced coffee, somebody is seated at a table next to you and they're talking about how crazy Christians are because they think that the only way to get to heaven, those nuts, they think the only way to get to heaven is is Jesus. And they begin to make you feel a little silly on the inside. How can that be? The reason it can be is because there's only one way. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. Peter, as we looked at last week in, in Acts 4.12, he said there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved except for the name of Jesus. That's why after I finish the book of the Revelation on Wednesday night, I'm going to move right into a study on the cults. I'm going to talk about the Mormons. I'm going to talk about the Jehovah's Witness. I'm going to talk about Islam. I'm going to talk about all of these things. So that we can know that Jesus is the only way. I tell you, my heart has been blessed as I've been studying through the book of Luke. It's been so blessed. It's been so challenged. Friday night, I was in our den on our couch. And I, I got a Facebook message that I couldn't believe. 
I got a Facebook message that the family was trying to reach me and that uh, my coach, Coach Kasaya, had died. He had just texted me the day before. He was in Montana. And he had just texted me the day before, and we had texted back and forth. He was right here two months ago. Right here two months ago. Eight weeks ago, right here. He had about seven of you standing across the front for the entire service. And he was up here absolutely full of life. The pastors and I went out for Mexican with him and full of life. And we all follow him on Facebook and he follows us and he was keeping up with our men's breakfasts and and uh, I got that message that he had died, that he died. And I actually, and it said Jeff Kasaya, and I actually Facebook back and I said, are you talking about Coach Kasaya? Then I started getting phone call after phone call. I tell you, my heart was broken, devastated. Couldn't believe it. Still today can't hardly believe it. So young. But I tell you what, but when I finally got up off that couch and I went into my study... I had a renewed passion to not major on minor things. White Oak, I want you to listen to me. We don't have time to major on minor things. I want to say that again because I only had three. Amen. That Listen. White Oak, listen. Church world listen we don't have time to major on minor things amen we don't we don't have time to major on minor things we need to major on major things the major thing is getting the name of Jesus to this community and to this world in any way we can do it your idea, my idea, it doesn't matter. Just any way we can do it. And as I moved to the study and as I began to think and reflect on the life of my coach, who at one time threw a clipboard at my head because I smarted off at him and I was thinking about his life and how God has used him and he, he, he shared the stage with Tony Evans and, and, and others and, and how that he was here and, and loved Jesus and, and now he is walking on a street of gold. I said, God... The years I have left, because life, James says, life is but a vapor. Hebrews said, listen, we're appointed unto man once to die. And so I challenge you as I challenge myself to walk. Don't back down. Jesus didn't. He wasn't rude. But he drew a line and he said, that's not right. 
And so I'm telling you, you're going to hear it from the pulpit. You're going to hear it in the hallway, in, not in a rude way, but just to say, Jesus is the only way. Tell your neighbors, tell your friends. Tell those you work with in a loving way. Jesus is the only way. That's why there was such a conflict. But that's why Jesus was so clear. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. This morning we're going to have a time of decision. As our praise team makes their way this way and as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're thinking about this sermon, we're thinking about this passage. If you, this morning, you've been caught up in, in this culture, if you can take any path you want to take to get to heaven... Telling you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ says that's not correct. And I know to say that makes folks uncomfortable, but it's it's just biblically accurate. So this morning, if you're here and just maybe you're you're caught up in that and 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 you want to just right there where you are say, God, help me. Help me that when it's brought to my attention, when, when the conversation is brought up, that, that I'll have the Scripture, that I'll have the truth, that I'll have enough boldness, not rudeness, but boldness to tell the truth. Then there's some right here this morning, maybe you need to give your heart to Christ. Just maybe, I just want to be honest, just maybe today if you drew your last breath, do you know without a doubt where you would be? And if you don't, maybe this morning you need to come and you just need to give your heart to Christ. Maybe today you need to come and get on bended knee and just spend a little bit of time with Jesus. The doors of this church are open. If you'd like to come, place your life here. Maybe you've been visiting and you realize that, uh, that we, we're going to preach the Word. Whichever pastor is behind this pulpit is going to preach the Word. And this is where you want to place your life. If you would, would you stand all over this auditorium? Just stand. I'm going to pray. And right after I pray, I invite you to come. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bow before you. And Lord, I pray. God, I just pray that as we sing in just a moment that you would help us. Father, help us to be obedient to that still, small voice. God, I pray on this Sunday morning if there's anyone here in this place and they do not know you 
in a personal relationship or have a personal relationship with you, God. Today, I pray that they would come. Father, add to the the church those that you would uh, send this way. Help us to reflect, oh God, on our own hearts. Help us to boldly stand as our Savior did. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.